I had left off the last lecture in talking with you about the Baptist distinctive, that Baptist distinctive of concerning the civil government and uh, our Baptist insistence on the separation of church and civil government, at least with regards to law, that does not mean, that does not mean, and never did mean, that religion was to have no influence on government. But it is meant to say that government is not to intrude into the business of the church neither in practice nor in doctrine. Those particular two things, repeatedly in Baptist writings, you find these two specific things being named as being the areas in which we do not believe that the government has any voice. No civil arm has any voice in the church's doctrine or practice. As long as our practices, of course, do not break the law of God, do not offend or destroy property of others held rightly. So, this Baptist distinctives with regard to the civil government. Now, I promised in the last, at the end of the last lecture, to go, go a little bit deeper and look at some of the details of this doctrine of ours. I use for my platform for that discussion uh, the uh, specific paragraph written uh, on page 173 of William Crawl's book on the church members Manual, <clears throat> Section 8, which is uh, labeled Civil Government. And uh, I like his treatment of this. It's it's very short, it's very succinct, <clears throat> but it's, it's uh, appropriate. And I think uh, for a general study class, it's, it's uh, sufficiently uh, complete. He says every particular form of civil government is a human institution, but the duty of yielding obedience to that under which we live is enforced by the positive precepts of Christianity. Civil government is a human institution. But the scriptures do teach us to obey those governmental entities. Uh, Ian, if you would please look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and read verse 13 through 17 for us. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. 
First Peter 2, chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, and not using your liberty for a choke, or sorry, for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Honor all men, love brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Okay. Now that is Kroll's proof text, if you please, for his statement that the yielding, it is the duty of believers to yield obedience uh, to governmental authority. Now, if you will be my uh, armor bearer, Ian, if you'll read for me Matthew 17, verse 24 through 27. He says that this this principle he's just set forward and defended with 1 Peter 2 is uh, given, it has, has an example, was exemplified for us by the Savior and his apostles. He shows examples of where they they themselves held to this. All right, Matthew 17, 24 through 27. When they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, or their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast them hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto them for me and thee. Okay, so here is an example of which he is showing uh, the Lord and his disciples doing what he had set forward as a principle. Uh, that word tribute used there is the Greek word. Uh, it is it is actually two uh, drachmans, which is equivalent of a half a shekel. Uh, and then... The term piece of money is uh, in that text is a stater and it equals one shekel there in the in that example. Just an historical note for you there to know that uh, these are this is real money, pieces of money, real money being paid by by them. <clears throat> Now, in the same book, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, we have this. Then went to the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent him out unto their disciples with Rodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God and truth, neither 
carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Verse 18, But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They said to him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. So these are just scripture uh, proof texts, if you please, evidence texts of our Baptist doctrine that we are to render obedience to the civil law in as much as it is possible to do that where it does not violate the law of God. Uh, he goes on to say, we are taught that civil government is an ordinance of God, that resistance to it is resisting the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive of themselves damnation. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7 proves that. The duty of contributing for the support of the government is also taught. Uh, in verse 6 and 7 of that chapter. And prayer for kings and all that are in authority is given to us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. There we're taught to pray for kings and all that are in authority. He says ministers are commanded to inculcate obedience to rulers and to magistrates. And thus it, and, and, uh, that, sorry, that's in, uh, Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1 says, put them in mind to be subject to the principalities and powers to obey magistrates to be ready to every good work. This is another text showing that ministers are commanded to obedience to rulers and magistrates. Then he says, at the same time, obedience to civil rulers or laws is not a duty when that obedience is contrary to the law of God. Now this is where, as in so many other things, Baptists of our generation have utterly failed and sold their souls out. They no longer hold to this. That when the laws of man contravene the laws of God, they're not to be obeyed. To put it in the words of dear old Lester Roloff, when bad men 
make bad laws. It's the duty of good men to break them. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 through 29. I'll not read the whole thing. You remember the story. They saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived they were unlearned, ignorant men. They marveled. They took knowledge of them. They had been with Jesus, beholding the man which uh, was healed, standing with them. They could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside to counsel, they conferred among themselves what should we do with these men. And uh, But it spread no further among the people that threatened them. They called them. They commanded them not to speak. Verse 18, Peter, Peter, they, verse 18, they commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God. For we cannot but speak these things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. All. All men glorified God. <clears throat> through verse, you can go and read through verse uh, 29 where they preached. The fact is, there are times when civil government oversteps its bounds. Civil government was appointed by God to keep the law, to keep God's law, to keep righteous law. But when law, when the lawmakers are corrupt and they produce corrupt laws, then there is nothing to be done but that men should have to break those laws. What are we to do, Peter said? What are we to do, gentlemen? Are we to obey God or are we to obey you? What are we to do? And then, <clears throat> Crowell says, it is not the form of government then, but the fact of its existence that renders obedience a duty. Every Christian should be a peaceable and quiet citizen. If he lives under a government in which he has a voice in the choice of civil rulers, he's bound to give it in favor of just men who will rule in the fear of God. A Christian is at liberty to hold an office in the state, we believe, provided its duties are not inconsistent with morality and piety. And then he concludes with this. From these passages and from all the teachings of Scripture on the subject, it is evident that the just rights and powers of civil government are all confined to Temporal matters. Now, I've just put a little mark there and a note to the side and kind of interrupted his thought 
moment to say this. The rights and powers of civil government are confined to temporal matters. However, it is the duty of civil government to uphold the law of God. Civil government is accountable to God, not to its citizenry as to the source of authority. The source of authority is God, not the consensus of the citizens. Now that is a very, seems like a slight, uh, just a nuance, just a, a thing not worth talking about, but it's not so. It's very important that we understand. We believe we are not Presbyterian. <laughs> We're not Presbyterian, and we don't believe in the state, uh, as, as I said at the very beginning of this lecture, we do not believe that state government, that, that civil government has any right to pass laws, etc., governing religious life. However, as believers in this Bible, as Bible Christians, we believe that the law of man should reflect the law of God and that the laws of the civil government are responsible, accountable indeed, to God that their laws should reflect His. And where they don't, eventually he will destroy that nation. Civil government has a duty to reflect the laws of God. One of the problems and dilemmas that we face today, here, those of us here face in this upcoming election, is if you put if you apply this principle to this upcoming election, you have one candidate who, for all, for all we can see, would be a tremendous asset to this nation financially, economically, but, and militarily, and in terms of stability, etc., etc., etc. But that candidate is no more fit morally than the other. There's a huge moral deficit on the part of both candidates. And uh, this is the dilemma we find ourselves in because God has turned us over to our own doings. We have come to this place Nationally, we've come to this place because of our sins, because we've rejected the law of God in the churches. But I just want to press this point that I believe, and Baptists have believed, that civil government rules by the, at God's charge, civil government rules God-ordained civil government. And civil government, just like the men in it, have an accountability to God to rule justly 
and righteously. And that their laws would reflect just righteous law of God. They have a duty to that. And we should call, we should demand of our politicians and our legislators that they do that. Not that they, not that they cast laws and, and opinions based on the consensus of the generality of citizenry, but that they pass laws and, ha- and opinions based on what's righteous and godly and reflects godliness. Government has a responsibility to God, as do the men who make it up, because government was the ordination of God. His right to rule over men's hearts. I know there could be a lot of discussion of that, but I simply want to make the point that I believe that civil government is accountable to God. Then he goes on and finishes, Kroll does, when he says civil government has no right to interfere in the least with religion, either with doctrines, forms of worship, the administration of ordinances, or the appointment and control of ministers. These are things which God has seen fit to leave to the free action of the human mind and the human conscience, if men, under the pretense of religious zeal, infringe on the rights of other citizens, they may be restrained or punished as for any other crime against the peace and order of society. But for their religious opinions and practices, they are accountable to God alone. Okay, that is the Baptist position on the matter. Government is accountable to God, but government has no right to infringe on the church, the the consciences of men. Government has no right to infringe on the consciences of men by making laws pertaining to their doctrine or practice. That is off limits in the Baptist view. That is untouchable as we Baptists believe. Now it has happened. It does happen. It is happening. We are living in a land right now where laws have infringed on the rights of God's people to keep his word. In such cases, we simply have to choose to obey God and let the laws fall where they will. We all remember the Gormleys, well, not we all, the Gormleys and and my family, we remember how this played out in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, when it became the conviction of many Christians across this country not in just one isolated place, that they should 
not subject their children to public education, but should teach their children in the ways of the Lord. Well, many state governments passed legislation that made that a criminal offense. And many godly parents were criminalized by those laws. And there was nothing to be done. Thank God there were some men raised up in that period of time who were able to gird up their loins and say there is nothing to be done here but to break the law. We have no choice but to break the law. And they did. Because it came down to this. The government had no place in the affairs of the church. But civil government is ordained of God. And inasmuch as it does not violate the laws of God, we are to be quiet, peaceful citizens who do our part to maintain civil order and decency. Okay? That's a bit more detail than we went into last week on this particular doctrine, Baptist particularity, Baptist distinctive of uh, pertaining civil government. All right? Questions, comments, discussions? I think it's important that we also go a little bit further than stopping at the point of simply saying that legislation must be righteous. No, it must. But we also know and have seen examples in our own day of when righteous legislation may be used by wicked men for wicked ends. And so we ought to say not only legislation, but enforcement should also partake of righteousness. Mm -hmm. When it does not, then we may have an obligation based on the scripture to break that enforcement, if you will, uh, because it is an unrighteous enforcement of what may appear to be a righteous law. Mm -hmm. difficult to single out one thing without making it seem as though that was the end of the discussion in relation to enforcement as, as well as legislation. But we we have all seen, I suspect, enough in our own day to know that laws that were intended for evildoers in some particular strain of, of uh, legislation are being applied and applied with force 
against believers and against churches that have no real application in their initial legislative form to churches and individuals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, the subject of, of uh, the Baptist position or just the Christian position regarding civil government is a very pressing one for us now, right now, because we are, we find ourselves in a time in a nation where there is a massive upheaval of civil uh, disorder. Is the nicest way I know to say it. Civil, civil disorder is everywhere. It is rampant. And law has ceased to rule in this land. We are no longer a land of law. And we're a land of, of, uh, where every man does that that's right in his own eyes and that has to be acceptable to everyone else. And we have so much unrest and so much civil confusion and, uh, in, in our nation right now. And I, I predict and anticipate, as I'm sure you do, that it is only going to grow worse. And that being the case, this whole subject of law and the believer's relationship to civil law it is a huge subject right now. Very pressing, very pertinent, and is going to be more so as the days go forward. And it's critical that we have, as believers, that we have clear convictions, clear convictions, and that we stand together in those you know, the old, the old joke, kind of a laughing, uh, little adage says we need to, we need to hang together or we're going to hang separately. <laughs> I'm afraid there's a lot of truth in that. We're going to need to stick together and be in unity in our views on these things. But our views have not changed. They're not novel. I would emphasize that. Our views are not novel. These are not new ideas. 
These are things Baptists hammered out generations and generations ago and many shed their blood for it. As I had said, I hope that Brother John at some point would have time to bring us a lecture that might emphasize some particulars of that. Many before us have shed their blood to stand for these truths and they're not novel. That is God's supreme right to rule over men that civil government is the appointment of God and that civil government has an accountability to God. Not to the church, not to the church, not to any one particular denomination. It has accountability to God in the scriptures for its laws and its enforcement of them. It's also, I think, one of, one of those countless great ironies that in, in our culture of increasing lawlessness, we also have, at the same, at the very same moment, the multiplication of laws to no end. Yes, yes. That's just an old, that's an old, that's in his in his uh, in his uh, lust for lawlessness, unbelieving man has never missed an opportunity to use law for extortion and disobedience. Uh, uh, that's what we experience. Case in point, what you were saying, and this this makes the beauty of Christian in 2024 is very difficult. The CIA is a case in point. Because I don't believe that an intelligence agency, as an agency of a federal government, of a national government, is in and of itself wrong. In our technological age, I think you can make the argument it's absolutely necessary, but it is being used in such a way. This thing that you would say is good in and of itself. Shocking 
to an individual 200 years ago. Sure. Sure. Well, the system of government we have, I think, I think, if the Lord tarries, I envision our church will have to make it realize that it had already been under oppression and persecution for a long time. But because of the sinister nature of it, in North Korea, things are pretty clear. Like I said, there's in the house. Here, there have been active religious oppression, religious oppression, as well as civil oppression, and by our own government for a while, long so sinister, I don't think, I don't think a lot of people realize it. We're already yeah. under persecution. We're already under oppression. Yeah. Systematic. But we have become inured to it. Yes. Because of the decreed nature of the offense. All right. All right. Uh, or, or what the, the modern phrase they like to, to quote often is moving the Overton. Yeah. Uh, which is what, what seemed normal has moved. That's right. Shifted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From what was really normal. And this is now normal when in the past it was beyond the pale. And so now we, we are, as Luke says, in, in situations where we have been facing a religious oppression for generations, literally. Yeah. But we fail to recognize it right. as that. Right. And and yeah, we desensitize us good way of putting it. We're, we're to the point where it makes no impression upon us because we've grown so used to it. And we see no reason to push back against it. Right. Well the we, cost the cost for pushing back would be enormous. I would argue that the reason, the single greatest mechanism for identifying civil oppression is personal holiness. Personal holiness. The church lacks the godliness because it lacks the clear vision of what godliness really is. It, it has been lulled by its own immorality. Uh -huh. And it lacks the ability to recognize yeah. the yeah. oppression. Sure. Sure. The, the believer, the church, the Lord was in the Bible, the church had a clear vision of what righteousness Then it would have find it easier to recognize. It's not just a matter, you know, we have a conference. We can put a conference together on uh, civil government and religious liberty. I mean, that's all great. But if the church simply had the personal holiness, the personal holiness thing, in other words, it would be easier for simple rank and file Christians to recognize the overreaching government. Yes, sure. Of course it would, as in many other things. When the church is almost as immoral as its government, it can't really see It doesn't the see the problem. Right. That's right. It is, it is. Is a needful thing that we return to those words that you made reference to in chapter 4. They took notice of them 
that they had been with Jesus. Yes, sir. Took notice of them that they had been with Jesus. What a thing. What a thing. What a testimony. Before we leave this subject, I want to just pick up, because I meant to pick it up and I didn't. I went through it. In um, his writing, uh, he said, it is not the form of government, but the fact of its existence that renders obedience a duty. And just for the sake of our younger believers in our midst, I just throw it out there to you, this matter of the form of government. It, let me bring it to your mind by putting a question. Is there one particular form of government that God has ordained? A republic, a democracy, a monarchy. These are different forms of government. Do we believe that there is one form of government that God ordained? That's the way I phrased it. Not that certainly some forms of government lend themselves better to Baptists being able to live out their doctrine. But does that mean that that's the only form of government that God has ordained among men? And I would simply put it to you just as a seed thought to ask the question, Does God, has God specified a specific form of human government? Now remember, all the Old Testament history was a theocracy. That was the form of government. It was a theocracy. Is that the right form? Well, all I'll say to you is what is is what uh, Kroll said. It is not the form of government. It doesn't matter what form. If you find yourself a, a British citizen or a citizen of uh, China or America or whatever, it's not the form of government that we as Baptists have uh, are going to march in the streets for or fight or put up banners. It's not about the form. It's the very fact. It's the fact of government that we have to take and apply these principles to it. Whatever the form is, whatever in God's providence Whatever form of government we find ourselves in, we have to, right across the board, we have to apply these principles in our own context. So I think one of the dangers of some of the men who came through that great fire in the early 70s was that they came to believe that God had ordained a specific form of government and they were prepared literally to sacrifice all to see that form of government put in place and kept. And I fear that that was a... They missed the mark. <laughs> I fear that they, they kind of got off on a side track here battling for a particular form of government. 
as much as we have our preferences, it's not the form, says Crowell, it's not the form that we're interested in here in Baptist distinctive. It's, it's the fact that there is civil government. We have to take them then and apply these principles to it, whatever it is, whatever form it is. We have to apply these principles. So just for some of you younger believers who may not have entertained that thought, there's, you can ask yourself just academically the question, has God ordained some specific form of government? Well, whatever your answer to that is, that be to you. But, but there is, but we ha can agree that whatever form of government we find ourselves in, we have to apply these principles to that form, <clears throat> wherever it is. All right. Just another thought for your growth. All right, let's pray together.